Pittsburgh. Yesterday, I heard Mark Madden reference my recent column in the Tribune Review about the improved relationship between the Latino and American players in the Pirates clubhouse. Now, I didn't know it was all that bad previously, but something must have been amiss if it's noticeably better this year, right? The players were saying it, not me. Tim Benson for Mark Madden today on the X. But Mark said I was making it out to be Jets and Sharks in West Side Story. Let's be completely clear. It was not West Side Story last year, nor was I trying to portray it as such. In fact, here's another quote from Adam Frazier that didn't make it into the column. When you're a buck, you're a buck all the way. From your first cigarette till Neil Huntington trades you away. Here's another quote from Yvonne Nova that didn't make it into the column. I like to be in America. Everything free in America. Like when Stephen Brault pitches in America. Now for you young whippersnappers out there, those are jokes ripped straight from the script of West Side Story, a movie that I assume that 20-year-old intern at USA Today will tell us never to watch again, just like she did Animal House. Football news here. Antonio Brown has a quad injury at Steelers training camp. I heard he heard it trying to climb into one of those Blackhawks that have been seen flying overhead lately because A.B. thinks that should now be his normal mode of transportation anywhere he goes. Actually, that's not true. A.B. actually hurt his quad while slapping it with laughter when he saw the video of Lev Bell in the strip club with that big-ass stripper. Saw a bunch of kids in the office earlier today. I think it's Take Your Kid to Work Day here at iHeartRadio. If that's the case, I don't know if it's also Pittsburgh-wide today in the city. I'm not quite sure, but... If A.B. has his brood on hand, the Steelers roster is going to double in size, and they're probably going to get a fine from the league office. More Steelers later today with coordinators Randy Feetner and Keith Butler. At 5.15, Neil Solons, who covers the Rays and knows Chris Archer very, very well, will talk about his debut tonight at PNC Park. And I'm not going to approach this topic the way other shows have today, Archer making his debut, because I'm not into revisionist history in two perspectives. Number one, I'm not going to be inconsistent with my big-picture view on this topic. I am going to be consistent, unlike some that I've heard. I wanted the Pirates to get Chris Archer. I just didn't want them to give up Austin Meadows to get him. Well, both happened. Uh, So now what? Well, we'll broach that topic in a little bit. But at least I'm going to be consistent on it. I like that he's here. I'm not happy that Meadows is gone. There are guys, though, in the media that I've heard, particularly on the Pirates flagship station, who... When the thought of Chris Archer coming here in the first place a few days in advance of the trade deadline was advanced, well, they made him sound like a piece of garbage. Now that he's here, they're turning him into Cy Young. Uh, Gee, how'd that happen? Who got a hold of them? But secondly, kind of along the same lines of revisionist history here, I'm not going to do the whole Chris Archer makes his debut tonight. Hey, Pirates fans, when was the last time you were this excited about a new pirate coming to town? First of all, all that does is encourage... 85-year-old grandpas from Sunny Valley to pick up their rotary phones and say, well, I remember when the Pirates called up Milt May in 1970 as a 21-year-old, and boy, did that cause a buzz. My God, that's been nonstop for 72 hours, and it's been nauseating because it revises history. And it's recent history. Look, I know that the fan base is trying to manufacture hype and generate enthusiasm. I know the station that has the flagship rights to the team is doing the same thing and i'm excited about archer's debut tonight too but i'm also not so old 
that I'm senile and I forget 2013 or even 2011. Let's not change the facts. Let's not change history. No one revises history like Pirates fans do. More than the Steelers, more than the Penguins. Pirates fans look back in time and fit the narrative to the point they are trying to make more than anyone. Because for as much crap as we dish out to Pirates management, this acquisition of Archer and Keone Kella isn't that much of a departure for them. In 2011 and 2012 and 2013, the Pirates acquired significant talent at the trade deadline. 2015 too, certainly with Hap, but he wasn't that big of a name going into the deadline. And a lot of those other years, they went after guys who had a lot of buzz. They got guys that the fan base wanted. They got guys that were primary targets of other teams as well. Hey, look, not every trade deadline has Manny Machado like this year or David Price that they sniffed at and failed in 2014. But in 2011, Derek Lee and Ryan Ludwig, believe it or not, were deemed to be two of the more significant players of the trade deadline, and a lot of people were hoping that the Pirates got them, and they did. It just didn't work out. Marlon Byrd and Justin Morneau were deemed to be significant uh, chips at the trade deadline across baseball in 2013. A lot of people thought they'd be good fits for the Pirates, and they got them. They just didn't get them over the hump against the Cardinals in the first round of the playoffs. When was it, 2012? Whenever they got Wandy Rodriguez, you know, he was sort of the Chris Archer of then as he is now. It wasn't that different. Like I said, 15 Hap wasn't talked about, but he turned out to be great. Where Pirates management has failed the fan base is in the offseason when none of those guys were retained or rightfully replaced, aside from Rodriguez. Most of those guys weren't retained or rightfully replaced. When the commitment to future contracts or signing those guys as free agents or acquiring major league talent to backfill their absences, that's where management has let you down. Not getting them in the first place. Bob Nutting and Neil Huntington will take on a couple months of someone else's salary that's built into the budget, believe it or not, limited though it may be, but they'll take it on. It's just keeping it or preparing for the future when it comes to significant cash and the layout of those monies. That's the issue. Let's Don't revise history. Don't blow off facts. All of that is true. Now, they might not have given up enough. That's why Price went to the Tigers in 2014 and Edison Volquez had a pitch against Madison Bumgarner, but more oftentimes than not, They are willing to take on salary for a few months between August and October. So that's why I posted a poll question that I want you to answer today. And you can get it on my Twitter feed, at TimBenzPGH. Now that Kella and Archer are pirates, which statement best describes your feelings? A, that they have to live up to the hype for you to buy back in. B, the results aren't as important as the fact that management has at least tried. Or C, check back with me before 2019 when more salary kicks in. And as I look at the results right now, it's pretty even voting. But for the most part, the respondents that I see, 43% of you say it's choice B. You don't really care about the results of Archer and Kayla. You just care that management tried. The next batch of people at 35%
say, check back with me in the offseason when they do what they do to set up their payroll for the whole year. And then about 22% of you who voted said it's choice A. They have to live up for the hype or to the hype for me to buy back in. And I think that one should finish third, to be honest with you. Because if we're talking about buy-in, in this regard, if we're talking about buy-in, it's not about properly evaluating the talent. It should be, but it isn't. 412-333-9939. I want you to ask that question. Does Archer have to be what Jay Happ was last year for you to be satisfied with what they did at the, de- the deadline? Does Kayla have to be what, I don't know, Andrew Miller has been or what Mariano Rivera was to John Wetland back in the day with the Yankees? Does he have to be a 0.98 ERA guy to set up Vasquez every night for you to feel like management did the right thing at the deadline? Again, 412-333-9939. Because to me, they're separate arguments. To me, these are different approaches to how you evaluate what your management team is doing for your club. If you're talking about a failure to buy in, then you should be over it because they did what they needed to do at the deadline. If you are someone who says, I don't trust management because I don't know what they're doing, well, then that's a different story entirely. Because maybe you're someone that doesn't think that they should have given up Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now and this player to be named later, whoever it is, for Chris Archer. Now, some people, by the way, are thinking it's Jung-Ho Gung. And you know what? If it is Jung-Ho Gung, especially after what we heard today with him going on the disabled list for four to six weeks with a wrist, the good news about that, it's one less reason for him to drive. But for him to go on the disabled list for four to six weeks with this wrist injury, it almost makes me think that if it is Gung, or if it were to be Gung, if it would have been Gung, if he didn't need surgery, it was like, okay, we'll give you Meadows. Just take our problem away with this guy. Almost a Reese McGuire kind of move there with Francisco Liriano. I'd be very interested to see if that was the case. Let's see how that goes. And like I said, we'll talk to Neil Solons about that in the 5 o'clock hour. But if you're someone who just wanted to see management try to get you to buy back in, and if Chris Archer stinks, and if Kayla is a human gas can, then you can't be mad in September. Like, I'm just sort of forewarding you on this. If they fall out of the race, if 2011 happens, like, you know, you go back, like, Ludwig wasn't very good. Derek Lee wasn't bad, but he got hurt. Like, if you go back and look at some of what failures occurred with the Pirates after these deadline moves happened, they happened independently of the players that they got at the deadline. And that could be the case here. Like, Archer could be a, I don't know, 3.9 ERA guy. He could go 500 the rest of the way. He could be good, not great. Kayla could come in and, for the most part, be okay, but not perfect. And if they don't win the division, if they don't get to a wild card as a result, if you're someone who voted choice A on that web poll there, then you can't be mad because you're just saying you wanted to see effort from management. And that's okay if you're like that. But if you're someone who says they've got to live up to the hype for you to buy back in, then that's a different level of trust. That's a different kind of trust that we're talking about with management. Then you're trusting their acumen. 
Then you're trusting their decision-making process. Then you're trusting or not trusting their level of talent evaluation, which quite honestly probably is a bigger topic with these guys. Because where the Pirates have, I think, let down fans from a baseball perspective, forget the money, them trying to compete with the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox. Forget the budget, what Bob Nutting is willing to spend and not willing to spend. Where they've let you down from a baseball acumen perspective is not getting enough of the right guys when they have dealt players. Not drafting the right guys when they've decided to go the draft route with significant talent. Not developing those guys throughout their minor league systems. Or not doing enough legitimate, good international scouting to get the right guys on board to make their team better. If you think that's why they have failed, then that has nothing to do with them going out and getting Archer and Kayla at the deadline. So as Chris Archer gets ready to make his debut tonight, and if we spin around on Monday and talk about how good or bad he was, I sort of want to lay the foundation here. I sort of want to lay the foundation of what we're really expecting from him. And that might be another way to phrase the question. When you look for Chris Archer, what do you need him to do to be happy? Does he have to be Cy Young? Does he have to be Jay Happ down the stretch, who legitimately, if you took those numbers and projected him over a season, would have won the Cy Young that year? So does does Archer have to be Jay Happ, or at least A.J. Burnett? Wandy Rodriguez, what what is he? Wandy might be a good example, actually. What if he's Wandy? What if he's okay? Not great, okay. Is that good enough for you as a Pirates fan? Because that's a different level level of criticism. That's a different level of expectation than what it is to say, well, management tried. They gave a, you know, they at least go out, went out and got somebody at the deadline. 412-333-9939 or tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. Now, there was a third component to that web poll. There was a third level to that poll that I posted. And that is, show me what you're going to do in the offseason now that you've got these guys. Show me what you're going to do next year when you're setting up your roster for an entire season and preparing to pay guys for a whole year. That we're going to get into next. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. The super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Big Sexy. Hey, Mark. Love the show, man. You can have the iron sheet, the humble one person. Who would it be? Sally Wiggins again. VX at 105.9. Added a second layer to this uh, web question that we posted. Tim Benson for Mark today. Since we're talking about expectations for Chris Archer, now that he is going to make his debut for the Pirates, let's talk about expectations for the team as well. The second layer to the question, now that, Kayla and Archer are here. What do you think will become of the 2018 Pirates? And your options are they'll win the division, they'll get a wild card, they'll miss the playoffs. 83% of people, and I just posted this during the commercial break, 83% of people say they'll miss the playoffs. So (laughs) initial indications are that they did just make the move to try to make themselves look good. They did just make the move to appease the fans. They did just make the move to get you off of their backs and do a little cosmetic reevaluation, or if you really want to be optimistic, build for the future by getting Archer on board for two more years. So that the two tie together because there's obviously a disconnect between how excited we are that Archer is here and pitching tonight, and what we really think will happen if so few people think they're going to make the playoffs anyway. Four one two. 
333-9939. Zangelo in Beachview. Z, go ahead. You're on 105.9. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, how are you doing, sir? Hey, do you think um, Chris Archer is going to pitch good tonight, his first game at PNC with all the nerves coming into this game because he's making his debut at PNC Park? I don't know about tonight. Uh, I think in general, if you're asking me how I think he's going to be as a Pirate, I think you look at his numbers right now. What is he, like 3-5 and five with a 4.30 ERA? I say flip that. Now that he's in the NL Central as opposed to the AL East, I say flip that on its ear entirely. I say he's like 5-3 and three or something like that down the stretch. However many starts he has, he's a game or two above 100, 500, and I think he's a little bit before below 4 as an ERA. So like a 380, 370 ERA guy and a guy who wins an extra start or two more so than he loses. That's what I think you're going to get out of Chris Archer. I don't know about tonight. Tonight he could be out of his mind crazy and throw the ball through the backstop for all I know. Which actually might be kind of fun. And really, would it be any worse than what you saw from Jose Reyes the other night? That was entertaining. You want to make baseball more entertaining? I got a way to make baseball more entertaining. People keep saying you got to limit the amount of mound visits and limit the amount of pitching changes. No, you've got to mandate at least once a game a position player has to pitch. That would make baseball more interesting. You have no idea where the ball is going. Guys are getting plunked all over the place. They say they like home runs. You want home runs? There's home runs. You want walks? There's walks. You want strikeouts? Guys swinging from their heels and missing on balls that are in the dirt because they want to hit one 500 feet? That's an idea. Once a game, you got to make a position player pitch because that was entertaining. It was a 25-4 baseball game, and I was laughing my ass off. 412-333-9939. Now, this is what I meant about checking back with me in 2019 when the salary kicks in because, and I referenced this before, about Archer coming here and what it means in terms of whether it was smart or dumb, right or wrong to get him. It was smart because the reasons we pointed out. The fans were so much on the Pirates' backs, they felt like the team had abandoned them and they needed some good PR. And, and, and based on what we're seeing already with the interaction we're getting on Twitter on this, that was the biggest part of the deal. Because people don't really believe right now that the Pirates are going to make the playoffs based on what we're seeing. They believe at least the team tried to care. Now, they started acting like a Major League Baseball franchise. They made a trade for baseball reasons. They made two trades for baseball reasons, not the financial bottom line. And that's going to take some getting used to for us and for them. Now, as I said, I don't like the idea of them getting Archer for Meadows. I love the idea of Archer, but without giving up Meadows. But that's what happened. Of all the young prospects in the Pirates organization, Meadows was the lone one who had gotten to the big leagues and at times looked like he belonged. You know, Will Craig and the Seinfeld kids, Kramer and Newman and Cabrian Hayes, these position players are just names who may or may not make it to the majors in a capacity beyond being September call-ups, let alone giving the limited sample size of production Meadows did when he was first promoted and he was really good. We don't know if anybody's going to do that from that batch of players. It's not the notion of giving away a first-round draft choice that makes me edgy about this trade. It's giving away next year's Major League starter. That's what Meadows would have been in left field. Next year, had he stayed in Pittsburgh, he would have been the starter out there because they wouldn't have kept Dickerson for an arbitration number with Meadows in the wings. At least that's what I was assuming because that's what teams like the Pirates do when they make decisions based on money instead of baseball. 
They let affordable talent walk if there is younger and cheaper talent ready to take over. This is where relearning how to talk about the Pirates may come into play. A team that starts making baseball decisions for baseball reasons needs to continue doing so if it wants to remain true to an effort of winning. In the instance of this trade, that ties directly to Dickerson. If Dickerson continues to perform well through the rest of 2018 and the Pirates sign him to a multi-year contract or at least keep him at his arbitration cost, then I'll be 100% on board with the Meadows for Archer deal, which is why I sort of put that thought in your head there of we can't evaluate this trade fully until the offseason. If Dickerson continues to succeed, gets moved, then is replaced by a fringe major leaguer like Jordan Luplo or a lesser brand of Dickerson on the 2019 free agent market, then this deal of getting Archer doesn't look as good in my eyes. Then the old-fashioned fallback of the financial bottom line comes into play. The explanation could easily be made that they got Archer, but that was just a cheaper and lesser version of Garrett Cole. And then whatever expenditure was put on the books for opening day by 2019 by adding Archer would have been softened by a low-cost replacement in left field. However, in, in the spirit of giving the Pirates front office a little benefit of the doubt points here, let's not condemn them for something they haven't done yet. That's something I was completely willing to do as recently as 1 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday before the Keone Kella deal got announced. I think keeping Dickerson or replacing him with an established Major League starter needs to be the next domino that falls to show that the Pirates are thinking baseball long-term instead of just a much-needed PR pop at the trade deadline. You know, you heard Frank Coonley go so far as to say, we love Corey Dickerson. Love him. That was the phrase, love Corey Dickerson. He also said, this is a quote, he's an important part of our team in 2018. We are thrilled to have access to Corey in 2019. We also believe that we have other players in the system who are on the horizon that we are excited about. So the we love Corey, that part sounds encouraging. However, note that Coonley said he's an important part of the team in 2018, which is now, not 2019. And he pointed out that they have access to him in 2019. And hey, remember, those minor leaguers still in the system those are Jason Martin and Brian Reynolds, the guys that they acquired in the Cole McCutcheon trades, respectively. So you know there's added motivation for Huntington to show off those guys in the majors sooner rather than later. The warranted enthusiasm surrounding Archer's arrival has come with the usual pushing of the old player out the door. Now that Meadows is no longer a shiny, unwrapped toy, the internet and radio talk shows were full of, eh, it wasn't that good anyway. I don't buy that. I'm not going to marginalize his talents after years of propping him up just because he doesn't play here anymore. I expect Meadows to be a very good player for years to come. I wish he could have proven that here. But if he was a must-have for Tampa, then saying goodbye to his future, will the Pirates then have to say hello to keeping Chris Archer next year and the year beyond and probably Corey Dickerson too? Because as of Tuesday... I'm more willing to say maybe when I wonder if the Pirates will do the right thing with their plan in the outfield now that Meadows is no longer a part of it. That could have been a really, really easy thing for them to do. They let Corey Dickerson walk after this year. We all go, eh, that's what the Pirates do. You let Dickerson walk after this season, you say, ah, that's about right. But if he's good 
and they make the playoffs, they get to a wild card, or even if they contend the rest of the way, then what are you going to want to do next year? Win. And you got to find a left fielder to do that. And you got to keep the pitcher that helped you stay in contention to Chris Archer to do that. So that's why I think that's a legitimate option when we evaluate this trade. It can't just be about what happens between now and the regular season. It's got to be after the season as well. 412-333-9939. When we come back, we'll switch gears, talk a little football. Keith Butler, defensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers, You'll hear him next here on 105.9 The X. X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, you struck my last nerve. You say that like you think I would remotely give a dump. But do go on. The X at 105.9. The Athletic is reporting that Artemi Panarin may be willing to go back to Chicago again. Uh, I will report that I'm willing to pack up his apartment and drive him there. Anything to get him out of Columbus, out of the division, and out of the conference. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden on your home for the Pens, 105.9 The X. While I was up at Steelers training camp while covering the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. I had a chance to speak with defensive coordinator Keith Butler. So we wanted to play that interview for you, which we are going to do right now. And then after the interview, I'm going to tell you what he really meant by every answer he actually gave. So here's Keith Butler on 105.9 The X. How is the inside linebacker position looking so far? We're, we're going to see how they do. You can't tell until you start getting out there and go and be competitive with other people. You know, we hadn't had a preseason game yet, so uh, we'll see uh, how they do. Uh, thus far, you know, there's been some good things and been some bad things, as in all the positions. So uh, is that going to be a key for us? May or may not. We'll see. Are you finding that some of the safeties who are going to be employed in the nickel and dime capacity over the middle of the field are handling that responsibility well? We haven't really done a lot of it to, uh, up to this point. We will. We, we intend to when we get into further into camp and stuff like that to see uh, what they can do uh, and plan in the box positions, you might call it. Uh, so we'll get to it uh, sooner than later. Is Morgan's availability, his injury to start, Got a little something to do with it, so you know we're gonna we're gonna look at other people too. But uh, we want to see Morgan down there. We want to see uh, several guys down there. You know, uh, depending on the situation, uh, make, it makes a difference on first and second down as opposed to third down. You know, who's in there on third down and stuff like that. So uh, we'll take a look at all those variables and see see what we got and see what uh, what uh, can help us. We asked Cam Hayward at the start of camp. How do you want us to identify you? Now he's listed as a defensive tackle right. now. How much does that have to do with your stated desire to stop the run? We're going to try to put uh, the, the best uh, guys out there uh, as, as much as we can to, to stop that run. Uh, a lot of it has to uh, do with people being where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. And uh, I think uh, they're all, you know, he's trying to uh, be the leader that he is. and. and uh, Getting everybody to understand what we're trying to get done defensively and uh, especially mentally. You can't make mental mistakes. You got to be uh, in the hole you, uh, that you're supposed to be in. Everybody's got to be able to trust one another that they're going to be there. And once they do that, they'll become a good run defense. I was going to ask you about that because communication, I know, has been a big talking point amongst right. your defensive backs, especially. Right. And Burnett was brought in to be very good at that. He had that reputation in Green Bay. Right. But has it been hard to figure out? 
how that's going, the communication no, aspect? I think, I think uh, you know, it's not only him, uh, our young guys. Uh, Terrell does a good job of communicating, too. I mean, Boston does a good job of communicating. Vince does a good job of communicating. you got to have what I call a couple of loudmouths on the team uh, every time you're out there, you know. And what I mean by that is that those guys are all constantly talking and uh, in terms of the adjustments that you're making, in terms of what offense is trying to do to us and how we're in terms of how we're trying to play things. And so uh, if we get that, I think the communication is better. I think it's better. But uh, and what I've tried to tell my our guys out there is, hey, I've never, never been around a good defense that didn't talk a lot. And so the chatter is starting to uh, come around a little bit uh, the way we want it. So uh, we'll see if it helps us. Sean Davis loud enough as the free safety? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he he's in, he echoes calls and he he makes calls and stuff like that. Yeah, he does a good job. You fast enough? Because I know at the end of minicamp you said that's one position we don't know what we have there yet. Well, I think uh, he's got great range. Uh, the thing that for Sean, he's got to learn to do is take take angles uh, at that position from playing center field. You got to be in the right angle. You can't uh, take bad angles and miss guys you're crossing uh, the field and stuff like that. So. I think that's uh, one of the things he's got to uh, do a little bit uh, better. In terms of his range, he's got great range. I mean, he can go from sideline to sideline, uh, being in the middle of the field, not just being in a deep half. I'm talking about being the, the center fielder. I mean, he can he can get there. Uh, when people throw the ball up, he can get there on both sides. So uh, I think we're lucky to have that. We just got to make sure that, that – uh, you know, he feels comfortable in, in, in terms of the angles he takes. He, he's taken uh, to tackle. If you think about uh, the good teams that we've had here in 2018, uh, everybody's talked about that, and uh, the Super Bowl before that, uh, uh, when we beat Seattle, uh, we, had, we had center fielders who made tackles, a lot of tackles when they broke the line of scrimmage. So uh, we rarely gave up, uh, you know, 20-yard runs, 25-yard runs, 60-yard runs. That you, you never saw that. Because it was Ryan mainly, right? Ryan Clark, Ryan Clark, and, and Chris Hope. Mm-hmm. Both those guys were good, good center fielders, and they made the plays when they were back there by themselves. Cam Sutton is to help you guys. Where is he most likely to help you quickly? Everywhere. Utility. Is he going to be a jack of all trades? He's going to be a utility guy. He's going to have to be a utility guy. We got to have guys like that who knows all the positions, stuff like that. He's one of those guys that can. Uh, uh, learn to play all the positions. You know, we when, before we drafted him, we uh, we went down there and talked to him uh, down in Tennessee. We had a meeting with him. He ended up, you know, telling us what everybody on defense was doing on every play. So you know, he's got he's capable of doing that. But we're going to ask a lot of guys to move around a little bit and uh, play different positions, especially if we change personnel in passing situations, stuff like that, which only make us better. I think uh, if our guys know. Uh, what everybody else is doing around them, we're going to be a lot better off. Last thing I had was, uh, I know there's so much tension about Ryan Shazier being hurt, uh-huh. but how much did the fact that you had Tewitt playing, within his words, an arm and a quarter, and Hayden being out for a while, impact your defense in the second half? An arm and a quarter? I, heard I would take one quarter of his yeah, arm, but... Yeah, yeah. Because of his bicep last year, I guess. I think we'll be okay. We'll see. We'll see what happens with our guys. I mean, it's... it's uh, it's early. Uh, we want to see development during uh, the preseason, and then hopefully we uh, we start uh, open with Cleveland. It'll be a good game.
Okay, so when Keith Butler gave that answer at the end there, when I asked him about Stefan Tewitt's arm, and he said, an arm and a quarter? I never heard that one before. It sort of like jogged. It gave me inspiration to write this up as a column for the Trib. And <laughs> I, I went through all of his answers, and I told you what he really meant. <laughs> I just went like through answer by answer. And one of them was that. Arm and a quarter? I ain't heard that one. In other words... Wait, Tua told me he was healthy enough to play all last year. Or like, for instance, when he talked about Cam Sutton, when I asked him about Cam Sutton, like, where is he going to play? He's going to play everywhere because everybody's going to get hurt or no one's going to be good enough, and we're going to try to make him Bugs Bunny and play all five positions at the same time. The Cam Hayward question. The real interpretation was the closer I can get Cam to the ball, the better That way he can think on behalf of the other 10 guys. Oh, and we really want him to make the Pro Bowl. So we're calling him a defensive tackle, and 12 sacks stands out better there. You know, when I asked him about the safeties and how they're being deployed in nickel and dime capacities and how are they handling that responsibility, and he says, we haven't really done a lot of that yet to this point in camp. We will as we get further into camp. What he really meant there was, you see the guy we're paying $14 million to, number 42? Uh, No, you don't, because he hasn't played yet. So you kind of have to, I don't know, surf through all this whenever the coaches are asked these questions. This is a really tricky time of year to be a reporter. And I I sort of found that out yesterday. We'll probably get into what I wrote about with uh, Edmonds, the first-round draft choice, the safety from Virginia Tech. Because whether it's spring training for baseball or you know camp up in Cranberry for the Penguins or particularly Latrobe for the Steelers, everybody's having a great camp. Everybody's going to be a pro bowler. No one's taking a step back. Every unit on the field is better than what it was last year. So I asked him about the inside linebackers. You could even tell in his voice, like not even Butler could sell that one yet. Not even Butler could say, yeah, we're going to be good there. We'll be fine. I, I, I heard him say that again. Here's, here's the quote as he said it. We'll see how they do. You can't tell how they're going to do until you see them get out there with other people. We haven't had a preseason game yet. We'll see how they do. Thus far, there's been some good things. There's been some bad things, as there has been with all the positions. The only thing I could think of was Rick Pitino coaching the Celtics. Larry Bird ain't coming through that door. Robert Parrish ain't coming through that door. Kevin McHale ain't coming through that door. Yeah, Jack Lambert ain't coming through that door. James Ferrier ain't coming through that door. Unfortunately, neither is Ryan Shazier. And they don't have a plausible answer at inside. It looks like right now they're favoring Bostic more than Matikevich at the start of camp. It felt like they were favoring Matikevich more than Bostic. We'll see. I, I think the more true answer is in the nickel, dime, and now this dollar defense that they've resurrected again where they started taking Timmons off the field a couple years ago. Uh, they got away from that and started trusting Shazier more and more when Shazier got drafted and more accomplished. But I think that's more the answer now. I think it's more about the defensive backs running around, making plays, and hopefully you do a better job. You you just got to stop the run on first and 10 as often as possible, sell out against the run on first and 10, and then try to win second and eight. (laughs) You know, having more defensive backs in the field and getting after the passer on a more consistent basis. Not nine sacks against the Texans and the Browns. Like, that sack stat was just so bloated last year. You know, get me five in a game against 
Brady this year or something like that. I don't know where the pass rush is okay against Brady last year. Get me one against Blake Bortles. Like you, you want to show me a real pass rush? Sack Blake freaking Bortles when it matters. 412-333-9939. Oh, on the topic of the NFL, when we come back, Ray Lewis had a quote that's going to knock your socks off. It'll probably be bloody white socks, but it'll knock your socks off. That's next here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Damn it, I'll be popular in Pittsburgh yet. Hey, Mark, ball fan. I think I got to start with pulled pork nachos. Hey, super genius, how you doing today? Fantastic. The X at 105.9. What are Zoom tubes, and how long have I been missing out on this fantastic trend? Now, when I first heard about Zoom tubes, when I looked up and saw Zoom tubes on television during the commercial break, I thought I had gone to the wrong channel, and how are we allowed to watch this? But no, Zoom tubes are like car racing, like little car races, like matchboxes. But they zip around in these tubes like Tron or something like that. And I'm watching this, and I'm saying to myself, this is the greatest. They used to be called RCA car races. Remember when we were kids and they're on the little track and you would race them? And they sucked. They never worked right. They ran out of juice real fast. The, the cars would stop about eight inches onto the track I hated it. It frustrated me, and I stopped playing with them right away. It was so hard to build, and if you broke up the track just a little bit of a piece of plastic crack to the track somehow got disconnected, you were screwed, and the whole thing was useless. And I'm watching these zoom tube things, and I'm getting some. Like how, the But this is all a hoax, right? There's no way the cars jump out of one tube and into another tube. And it's on the NFL Network. They keep running the commercial on the NFL Network. But I feel like I. this is a new thing now, apparently. If you go online, like uh, remote control cars and trains, like model trains are really big. They're making a big comeback now because everybody's trying to be wholesome and getting kids off their phones. And how can you get kids away from just doing video games? And if kids aren't going to go outside and play sports again, you got to figure out something to do with them that gets their brains active and gives them some sort of level of competition, if not with other people, just for themselves to like build this puzzle and put this train set together. Like I got a nephew who's like way into model trains and I thought they were dead before I was a little kid. Now they're making a huge comeback. And apparently zoom tubes are the shiz. Like everybody wants a zoom tube now. And I can see the, but this commercial is misleading. There's no way this commercial is telling the truth. There's no way these little cars jump out of one tube and directly into the other tube without falling to the ground. Every time I feel like I'm being hoodwinked. But I'm totally infatuated with these Zoom tubes. And I might just get them, see if I like them, play with them for a little while, and keep them if I want to keep them. And if I don't like them, give them my nephew and let him figure it out. 412-333-9939. Oh, we're way up against, we're right up against the 4 o'clock hour. So i got to do this quote quickly from Ray Lewis. I, Bob pointed this out to me from Jamison Hemsley, who covers the NFL and particularly the Ravens for ESPN.com. From Jamison Hemsley. Ray Lewis said the contagious positive energy surrounding his induction to the NFL Hall of Fame reminds him of his playing days. Quote, when I played, crime went lower in Baltimore. Okay, what about Atlanta? He went on to say, it's like nobody needed to be mad now. It's like everybody wants to be happy and celebrate. Also, said he's not staying under the suggested 15-minute time limit for his induction speech. It's 22 to 25 minutes long. Oh, my God. 
Can you imagine him doing his preacher of the mount routine for 25 friggin' minutes? I hope of that 22 to 25 minutes, the three missing minutes are entirely dedicated to Dan Kreider kicking his ass and he decides to leave it in just for the sake of a little humility. When I played crime went down in Baltimore. Is he like, how did he think he was going to say that without people pointing out what happened in Atlanta? Please, for the love of God, he is so lacking of self-awareness. I hope he forgets to put on his Hall of Fame coat and he just wears a white suit. Just please wear a white suit to complete the circle. Back in 30 seconds, Tim Benson from Mark Madden.